Good morning, everybody. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Yeah, there were all sorts of talents that came on Friday night. So yes, I'm sure there's more out there. We might even do another talent show before the next 10 years pass. We'll see. Everybody has spoken and unspoken priorities. We all prioritize something. We, whether we know it or not, we have priorities. And whether we've written them down, we have priorities. Whether we start out the new year by listing what we want to do or not, all of us prioritize something. And what you prioritize says something about you. Uh, this morning in our passage, we have a, a man coming to Jesus with a question of priority. It's not the priority of how he should spend his day or his time necessarily, though it would affect that. He has a question related to priority in the commands of God. A matter of priority in what God has spoken. So let's read about that together. Mark chapter 12, be starting in verse 28. We'll read down through verse 34. So Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray together. Father, your word is true. It is better and purer than silver that's been refined seven times over, Lord. Pray this morning that you would help us to hear your word and that you'd give us hearts to obey your word, that you'd give us the desire to accept it and to live on what you have spoken. We pray, Lord, that you'd help our ears and our hearts and our minds, our motivations. God, I pray that you would stir up in us what we can't drum out of ourselves. I pray that you would increase our love for you, even as we have just sung. Help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Work through our text here. I think the call is simple. The call is to love God with your whole self and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with your whole self and your neighbor as yourself. And we want to see first the call to love God, then the call to love neighbor, as we look at this man, we'll see the call to respond rightly. Verse 28 to 30, we see the call here to, to love God. Uh, 
We've had a week off here, uh, but to catch us up, we've been in chapter 12. The triumphal entry has taken place. Jesus has cleansed the table. The religious leaders have challenged him. How dare you do this? You know, it could be one way to put it. But they ask, what's the authority by which you're doing this? And he sidesteps their question, challenges them. And then more questions have been coming to him. They've been asking him about, uh, do we pay taxes? Then they tried to stick him on a question of the resurrection. How can the resurrection possibly be true? And Jesus has parried away these attacks as they've come to him. And now in this uh, time of confrontation, we're coming to the last question. This is the last question that somebody's going to dare to stand up and ask Jesus. Uh, we're going to be transitioning soon uh, to a new section within a, a few more weeks as we wrap up this section. But this is the last question that they ask him. And the question here relates to a matter of the law. Uh, as Mark puts it forward here, we see some of the more positive elements of this interaction. As Matthew, if you look at the parallel in Matthew's gospel, uh, we see some of, the, some of the things that are behind the question. There's some, actually some negative aspects here between, behind this man's question. He's, he's trying to test at the beginning. Uh, it seems, though, that by the time it's been answered, perhaps there's been some slight change of heart for him. Now, Matthew's bringing out some of the challenge. Mark isn't as much. Mark isn't focusing so much on the, what's going on in his heart on the front side of it. He's looking more specifically at how Jesus responds. We're looking more specifically at the answer of Jesus here. And so that's how we're going to spend our time this morning. Man asked the question, which commandment is the most important? Which one's first? There are a lot of commandments in the law of Moses. Um, so perhaps he's asking, is, is there one that incorporates all the others? And certainly Jesus' answer is going to do that. It is going to. Uh, or maybe he's asking, is there one, one law that, that trumps all the rest? That might be what he's asking. He's certainly asking the, the matter of priority. What, what do we prioritize in the law here? Jesus doesn't hesitate to answer the question. He immediately cites Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. Uh, we see that. He says, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This command became central for Judaism at this time. For the Jewish people, uh, and writings outside of the Bible as well, this comes up again and again. And it's very important in their context, that they held on to this commandment. And Jesus is going there. Uh, the name, perhaps you've heard this referred to as the Shema, um, and that's, that really comes from the first word in Hebrew. Uh, Shema is the word to listen. Shema Israel, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Uh, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, and in that, of course, we know that the command to listen is more than just a call to hear. There's a big difference between hearing and listening, right? Uh, now, you need to hear if you're going to listen. Uh, certainly, we've all experienced somebody who's heard the words that we've said, but didn't listen to what we actually said. It's kind of like the story of the man who says, you know, my wife is always complaining about me. I, I guess something like I don't listen or something like that. I guess I wasn't listening. You know, that... The, the idea, you know, there, there's, there's one thing to hear and entirely another thing to listen. It's another matter. 
Uh, and the, the command to listen uh, runs deeper into our hearts. We see that in the Old Testament. Israel didn't have a hearing problem. Israel had a listening problem. And they're not alone in that. It's important for us as we approach what God has spoken in his word, that we not only hear it, that we not only read it, but that our hearts engage it, that we listen to it. It's essential that we uh, go farther than hearing, we go to listen. And what do we listen to? Well, there's a lot here. Uh, I'll start with the first part of it. The first thing that he says is that the Lord is one. The God who revealed himself to Israel, Yahweh, the Lord, he is one. There is only one God. Even as Jesus, the second person of the Trinity here, is pointing this out, he is, he would call him the second person, he's not a second God. There's one God. There is only one God. The Holy Spirit is not a third separate God. There is one God. Uh, it's not as if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are together in heaven as three gods hanging out. Uh, they are one God together. We often say that God is one God and three persons. Now there's mystery in that. But there's no contradiction in that. God is not one in the same way that he's three. There's distinction there. Uh, he eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The very point that the second person of the Trinity is making here is that there's one God. He's pointing to this. God is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Maybe that's frosted your brain over a little bit. Uh, but the core reality that's being taught here is we see it throughout the New Testament. Uh, the word Trinity is not used in the Bible. But the reality of God as Trinity is all over. The first thing that Israel needs to know in this greatest commandment, that we need to know, is that the Lord is one. This is no abstract statement for Israel. Uh, the statement about God here is essential to Israel and to Israel living in the land in relationship to God, as we see in Deuteronomy. If you remember at Deuteronomy at this point, Israel is just on the cusp of entering into the promised land. Not long ago, a few chapters back in the book of Numbers, they've committed idolatry with the Moabites and the god of Baal. Uh, they're going to be going into a land that is rife with idolatry, and the strongest temptation for them is going to be to believe in the gods of the land. People around there are going to say, well, if you want to know best farming practices, you've got to pray to the god who sends the rain in this territory, and that's Baal. The temptation for Israel to go after the gods of the people is going to be so strong. And so what they need to hear is that there's one God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God. They need to know that. They need to have that clarity as they go in. Beyond that, it's not simply a matter of there being one God. In that is also the call of a husband to his wife to be faithful. Uh, we can see that as well, that aspect of the love that's intended in that, uh, in, in what follows. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. There's a call for exclusive love there, that Israel would love God and we would love God with everything that's in us. You know, God is not looking merely for people who have intellectually put him together. God didn't reveal himself to us so that we could dissect him and analyze him as if he were some specimen floating in formaldehyde. 
God revealed himself to us so that we would love him. Not simply so we would figure him out and put him in his box, but that we would love him. He revealed himself so that we would know him, so that we would love him. That's the purpose of God revealing himself. He does want us to know him, but he wants us to know him so that we would love him. He wants us to love him through our knowledge of him. Not just a little. He's looking for us to love him a lot. He made us for himself and to love him with all of ourself. And we should love him with our whole self. Jesus here mentions heart and soul and mind and strength. The quotation in Hebrew in Deuteronomy 6 mentions heart and soul and might. Or we often say strength. Uh, Jesus' quotation of it here, uh, I think the idea is that it's everything. It's calling for everything. Your emotions, your total consciousness, your intellect, your ambition, your energy, all of that should be consumed with a love for the God that the scriptures have revealed. He is the God who has made us for himself. The scriptures are quite clear. The, the reality is that all of these commands can be boiled down to this. We see that love of God is central to all of what God has revealed about himself. Uh, so on that hand, it's simple. If you can boil it all down to love, that, that's pretty simple. At the same time, it's impossible. The truth is that no one has loved God with every single fiber of his or her own being. Not in the way that we were created to. And it's not because God created humanity defectively. You'll remember in Genesis 1, after God had made everything, he said, behold, it is very good. Instead, our first parents chose to sin. They dove headfirst into it, and we were all pulled along with them. In our sinful human nature, apart from Christ, people crave things that drive them away from God. I've heard stories uh, in the years past, I forget which tsunami it was, I think it was an earthquake, uh, it caused the water to recede rapidly from the seashore. I don't know if you've heard stories like that. And uh, there were school children that saw that happen, they left class, they went out and started looking at the exposed seabed, because there was all sorts of fish and, and all sorts of sea uh, life that was left behind, and, and they're, they're, they were out looking and finding things, and it was exciting. They had no idea that a tidal wave was on its way coming back in. Uh, and once, that, once they realized that it, it was far too late. Uh, the reality is human beings, uh, we're like that. You know, we are so enamored by the things of this world. The things that catch our eyes, uh, that's what we want to go after. That's what we want to spend our lives on. That's what we prioritize. Those are the things of first importance to us in our natural state. And so we do what comes natural. We just go after all of what the world has to offer as if that's the most important thing. And we have no idea about judgment coming. That's why it's actually merciful for God to reveal what he demands. When he reveals himself through his commandments, that's an act of mercy. And when we look at the scriptures, we look at the call to love God with everything we are, we realize that we can't do that. We don't have it in ourselves to do what God calls. And so we need help. And God's word 
is, is like the call over the PA system. Come in from the shore. Flee. Run. Go to some place of safety. The reality is none of us love God the way that we should. If we're honest with ourselves, we know it. We don't love him the way that he calls us to. But we have been given a place of safety. We've been warned. We've been called to run to a place of refuge. Because there is only one person who has loved God with all of his soul, all of his might, all of his uh, intellect, everything, every fiber of his being. We see that uh, the, the Gospel of Mark has been pointing us to this person all along. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who has done it all. He is the only one who has loved God with every single fiber of his being, every motive of his heart, every time always looking to and living in the love of God to the glory of God. Only he has done that. It, we can boil the commands of God down to love, but the reality is we still can't keep it. We still can't do it in our own strength. We will still be judged for eternity if we try to keep just even that one for our salvation. We have to look to Christ. He is our place of refuge. And he does accept us if we come to him. We see the call here that we would love God with everything. The Lord Jesus Christ can turn us into, uh, turn us from being children of wrath, I see in Ephesians 2, to being children of God. And that's what he's come to do. He, the, the only true perfect lover of God, has taken upon himself the curse of our sin. All of our lovelessness, he's taken that upon himself. He's been cursed in our place. And so we can go to him and find forgiveness. He is able to save us to the uttermost. We see first here the call to love God. That's what comes first. There's one God. We're to love him exclusively and to love him with everything that we are. That's where Jesus goes first. The next thing he points to is a call for love to neighbor. And these are connected, as we'll see. Verse 31. I'll read it again. Second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you could boil down Israel breaking this first command into a picture, it would be the, the picture of the idol of Baal. That's how they shattered this first command over and over again. If you wanted to boil down disobedience to the second command, you could see it in the person of Cain, uh, the third person to walk this planet. Cain did not love his brother. He didn't love his neighbor. The idea of the neighbor is the one who's close to you. Well, his brother was certainly close to him. He didn't love him. Cain loved himself so much that he killed his brother. Cain was envious that God had accepted Abel's sacrifice that was made in faith, but had, God had rejected Cain's own offering. In Cain's hatred of his brother, there was a radical love for himself. He wanted God's approval, but he wanted it on his terms, not on God's terms. And rather than humble himself and repent, even when God called him out, Cain went further in the process of doing things his own way. And with a heart that was turned against God, he turned against his brother. Do you see the connection between these two commands? Love God, love neighbor. Love of God and love of neighbor are inseparably connected. Uh, love 
of God flows into love of neighbor. Now, I'm not making this connection up. We see it in the Bible itself. I want to turn to 1 John chapter 3. You can read along if you want, or you can follow. I'm going to be reading a good number of verses here. I'll be reading a section out of 1 John 3, then I'll read a section out of 1 John 4. And as I'm not going to comment on everything. There's far too much here to, to talk about. But listen, as I'm reading through this, listen for the connection between love of God and love of neighbor, love of brother here. 1 John 3, 11, I'll read down through verse 18 first. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death unto life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's jump ahead to chapter 4, verse 7, read down through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent him to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anybody says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Again, I can't comment on everything. But I hope you saw the connection. There's love that comes from God to us. There's love that responds in our heart to him. There's love that naturally flows to the brother. Uh, you can't say, I love God and hate your brother. Uh, love of God and neighbor go together. Further, we see here love of neighbor, love of your brother, is a tangible love. It's not just talking about having fond feelings for somebody at a distance. Especially as we see it here in 1 John 3 and 4, there is tangible love that's being shown here. 
You know, if you want to test your love of a neighbor or your love for your brother and sister, I think a fair question is to ask, how are you loving the people that are right in front of you? Now, I speak this to my own shame. I know I need to grow. Uh, but let's be honest. Sometimes it's a lot easier to have warm, fuzzy feelings about somebody out there uh, and a lot harder to love the person right in front of you. It is the people who are close enough that you can smell them that will test and try your patience. Uh, it's the people who you do life with who really get on your nerves. Uh, and it's the people that you serve the most who will tempt you most to bitterness. Those are the relationships where it gets real. That's where we most often have to get on our knees and plead with God to help us to love. If we operate out of our own strength and how we feel at any given moment, we will run out of love for people pretty quickly. You know what? God never planned for us to live the Christian life in our own strength. Uh, the Christian walk is always a walk that needs assistance. Uh, every day we need God's help to walk with him. In fact, if you want to use an illustration, I think it would be too flattering to say that the Christian walks with a crutch or with a cane. I know that there are days that I'm just carried right through it by the Holy Spirit because I don't have what it takes to walk with him. Uh, it's when we, walk, we think that we walk on our own two feet that we fall. God has never promised that we're going to have enough strength to handle every challenge on our own. Uh, and the reality is God will absolutely give you more than you can handle, at least handle in your own strength. He does promise that he's never going to put us in a situation where the only option is for us to sin. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's the promise, and that's good to hold on to. God's never going to put us in a situation where the only option we have is sin. He will always provide a way of escape. But I'm telling you what, God is going to put you in situations and in relationships that will test your patience, that will test your natural love to somebody. We will run out of love fast if we rely on ourselves to love the people that God has called us to love. In our marriages, in our family relationships, in our friendships, in all of those we're going to need to look to God. He didn't make us to live together, even as a church family, in our own strength. We don't have what it takes. We don't naturally have what it takes to walk together in love. We're going to have to look to God. We're going to have to ask Him for help to love the people that He's put in our lives. If you're in a season where you feel the trial in a relationship in your life on, on one front or another... I just want to encourage you to look to God. Ask Him for love. Don't quit when you see that your natural love has given out. Look to the one who's able to strengthen you. Look to the love of the one who has loved you and see that love and ask Him to help you to love the way He has loved you. Seen the call in Mark 12 to love God. Considered for a bit, the call to love your neighbor as yourself. I want to look just briefly now at this man's response and the call to respond rightly. After Jesus answers this man's question, uh, this guy turns around and he acknowledges the truth. He responds well to Jesus. 
Now, Matthew doesn't include this detail at the end, but Mark does. Uh, Mark is helping us to see what's going on in this guy's heart through this interaction, and I think it's meant to teach us something. So let's, I want to read it again, verses 32 to 33. It says, And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Uh, this man responds that he accepts what Jesus has said. And Jesus gives a partial commendation to him. Verse 34, Jesus, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Uh, of course, after that, nobody dared to ask him any more questions. Uh, this man has responded wisely to Jesus' answer. Uh, and Jesus says that he's not far from the kingdom. Uh, his response is far better than what we've seen in the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees. Uh, he hasn't turned away in hatred to the Savior, and that is commendable. But Jesus also acknowledges that he's not there yet. He says, you're not far from the kingdom. Uh, apparently, he's not yet in the kingdom. Whatever happens to this man? Where does he go from here? I don't know. The, the scripture doesn't really tell us where this man goes after this, so we don't know. One day we will, but not today. Uh, we read in this man's encounter with Jesus that he's not far from the kingdom. Of course, our hearts desire that uh, he does step on into the kingdom. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you are praying for somebody who seems to be on the edge of the kingdom, or maybe they don't seem to be seeking it at all, don't give up praying. Keep praying for people. The people that God has put in your life that you see, uh, he's put them there for a reason. And so keep praying. Don't lose heart. Keep praying for the people that you see uh, as, as they're not yet there in the kingdom. Uh, the reality is the Holy Spirit is far more persuasive than any of us. Uh, he can answer questions in the hearts of people that we never can. And so keep praying. He has the power to raise the dead, and we, don't, we do not. So don't stop praying. Uh, and this morning, if you stand near the kingdom, but you know that you're not in it yet, uh, I invite you to take that step. I want to say that there is no sin in our lives that God is not able to forgive. When we walk through that door of faith, uh, all of our sins are left behind. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful to forgive. That means he's promised to do it, and if we come to him, he will do it. And he's just to do it. He has the right to do it. Because of what his son has done, he has the right to forgive our sins. Still today, God is in the business of forgiveness for those who repent and believe. And the God of this book who has revealed himself, as we've seen this morning, he reveals that he is one. There is one God. He has made us for himself and he invites us in and he calls us to love him, to cast all other loves aside and to seek him alone. And then out of that, to love our neighbor. He wants us to love him with our whole self and our neighbors as ourself. Let's go to prayer together. Father, thank you for your word. 
you have been so kind in revealing yourself to us, revealing our desperate need, and then providing for that need in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to cling to you and to hold to you, and that you would help us in our lives, Lord. We confess that we don't love you the way that we should. Lord, the things of this world are still so alluring, and they shimmer and shine and draw our hearts, uh, attempt to draw our hearts away, and so we ask that you would help us, that you would uh, capture our attention and our imagination and our love and our joy so that we would seek you with everything that we are, Lord. Captivate us with your love, I pray. And then, Father, I pray that you would help us, that out of that, that you would help us to love the people that you've put in our lives. Give us resources to love beyond what we naturally have. Lord, we love you and thank you and pray that you'd help us today. In Jesus' name, amen.